Each week, in partnership with the GI Museum in Gautier, we interview veterans of the military about their experiences abroad. We'll air these stories unedited and unchanged. These heroes were there on the front lines and lived through unspeakable horrors to tell us their story. And now, we sit down with a true hero. Hello and welcome to another edition of Local Heroes, brought to you by WKFK-TV7 in Pascagoula, Mississippi, in cooperation with the GI Museum in Gaucher. As you can see again, we're not in the GI Museum in Gaucher. We are aboard the Battleship Alabama BB-60 in Battleship Memorial Park in Mobile, a place that is full of family, fun, and entertainment, and it is a history experience. And I encourage you, if you haven't been here, you need to come. If you hadn't been here in a while, you need to come back and see the Battleship Alabama. It's a place that you and your family will enjoy. I have the distinct privilege of talking to Mr. George Coker again today. Mr. Coker was on the USS Hornet in World War II. He was on board the Hornet when the Doolittle Raiders, the B-25s, took off to bomb Japan. He was on the Hornet when it was sunk off Guadalcanal at the Battle of Santa Cruz. And Mr. Coker, welcome back to another edition of uh, Local Heroes. We want to pick it up where um, you've been sunk, you've been transferred to the cruiser... Northampton. Northampton, and you were transferred in a bosun's chair? Yes, sir. Now, when you talked about that story earlier, Mr. Mr. Coker, in another show we did, you weren't. You didn't tell everybody that those ships didn't stop dead in the water for you to do that. No, they would have that. They're not. We're still the same, doing about twenty knots. Twenty knots. That's pretty fast. And you had to be pulled across from one ship to the other in this chair, basically. And of course, the ships are moving. Yes. The ocean is not slick as glass, so you're bouncing up and down, and you're hitting the water, and you're coming back up. Uh, were you a little scared? Obviously, but I'd seen it done before, so that gave me a little security. A little security. So you get to the cruiser in Northampton, and your job on board the cruiser was to take care of the wounded. Take care of the wounded, because I was in the medical department. From the Battle of Coral Sea. Coral Sea, uh, uh, Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz Islands, right, yes. Yeah. There were a lot of wounded? Uh, quite a few. We had about 280, I think, if my memory is correct. And then you and they, they were transferred over to the Northampton and we had to take care of them. And then where were where did the Northampton go with you uh, following this, this uh, operation? Took me into uh, Numia, New Caledonia. And that's an island north of Guadalcanal and we stayed there until I could get a troop transport. We could get a troop transport coming back to the United States on, and then we got 30 days survivor's leave. So you came back in the United States after you had been sunk and taken care of, wounded, and you got 30 days survivor's leave. What did you do on your 30 days survivor's leave? You well, on? I came back here to Foley yeah. and uh, <clears throat> just hung out, so to speak, with my family. I had a brother living in Tallahassee, Florida, and I went over there to see him. We did a little fishing. And other than that, just kind of relaxed. Oh, yes. And then came back and I was assigned to the 8th Naval District in New Orleans and we were, I was there for oh about a year 
Then I got a year and a half and I got orders to the, I had told them in New Orleans that I did not want another ship. If I could, I could get it. I'd like to have a land-based plant, a fight, fly, uh, land-based assignment. Assignment. And uh, so they gave me Fleet Hospital 116, and we didn't know where it was going or what it was going to do. But my first, from after I left New Orleans, was Brooklyn at the Navy Medical Supply Depot to requisition the supplies for this Fleet Hospital, because I was in property and accounting. And uh, then from there, we went to uh, Lido Beach, Long Island, to f form the group. Then from Lido Beach, Long Island, New York, we went to San Bruno, California. From there, we l entered a transport and went to Okinawa. And we landed on Okinawa. We missed the real fierce fighting at the beginning of Okinawa, but when we landed, we landed in packs on our backs and all the trimmings like that. And we went to Naha, which is the southern tip of Okinawa. And it had been completely demolished by our battleship and cruisers and gunners and everything, and it was destroyed. So we were ready to put up ready Fleet Hospital 116. In the meantime, President Truman had signed the uh, agreement to drop the atomic bomb. And if you remember, I've forgotten the name of the, sh the plane. That, uh, there was a moon. Enola Gay. No, that was a, a gay. That was a gay ship. Uh, yeah, I've forgotten the name of the ship. But anyway, they assigned it the on the Missouri. Uh, was it the Indianapolis? Indianapolis? Okay, I'd forgotten it. And anyway, after that, why um, they started? If you had 90 points, you could have be discharged. And oh. I had my points. Oh, yeah. and the surrender was signed on the Missouri. You're yes. right. Yeah. Missouri, that's what I was trying to think, Missouri. Yeah. But Truman being from Missouri, that's why I thought it was Missouri, but I'd slipped my mind because I hadn't thought of it in that respect. And uh, a lot of people will say that Harry Truman will go down in history as one of the best presidents we ever had by making that decision. I've heard that, and I know you have too, haven't you? Yes, sir, I sure have. They estimated there'd be over a million casualties if we'd invaded Japan. Let's go back to requisitioning the supplies for a fleet hospital. I would imagine that was more than a few bandages and um, a little iodine in a bag, huh? It was going to be 1,500 beds. So you analyze what that would have contested, consisted of. All the surgical instruments and beds and supplies and everything. It had to be more than a shipload. Oh. How long did it take you to requisition all that? I mean, three months. Well, there's no computer back then. You had no. to do all this probably on a typewriter. manual typewriter. Right, and I typed, thank goodness. Well, you were lucky there. You didn't have to write it all out, but still typing on a manual typewriter for three months. How long was the days that you worked for three months? Well, Navy Medical Supply Depot in Brooklyn, that was the biggest supply depot we had in the Navy in those days. I was there and you worked eight hours a day yes, typing. Yes, sir. How did you know what to requisition? You're a pharmacist, man. I mean, did, well, was there a book you went by? We, we had, me being a property and accounting technician. Oh, okay. I, we had guidelines to go by. And it was a hit or a miss, but we, we hit it. But thank goodness we did not have to put up the hospital because they dropped the bomb and that was the end of that.
So when you got to Okinawa, you said the worst fighting was over. Was there still fighting on yes, the island of Okinawa? on the northern part. But see, Naha, which was the capital of Okinawa, was at the southern part of the island. But and still there were casualties. Were oh, you, yes. Were you all taking care of casualties? Yes, sir. Casualties. And I remember one particular time one fellow asked me, he says, let's go scavenger hunting this afternoon. It was when we were off duty in Okinawa. I said, no, I'm not going scavenger hunting. I'm going to stay on this base. And he went, <clears throat> and he started down in a cave. Some Japs were down in this cave, and they machine gunned him, just zoom, zoom, zoom. So he went down there looking for souvenirs. Mm -hmm. It's been said that GIs don't fight wars for their country. They fight for souvenirs. <laughs> so I guess maybe that's what he was doing. That's a good point. Uh, so you're taking care of basically the Marines and, and, and... No, we didn't do anything medically on Okinawa. Nothing medically on Okinawa? No, because the war was too close to the end, and we just was there to survive the weather. It would rain for two hours, and then sun would come out for two hours, and mud would cake to your feet six inches deep. <laughs> While the wind was blowing dust in your face? <laughs> no, it didn't have that. It was had bad, bad weather. And uh, Okinawa was something, but they say it's a beautiful island now, and it's a place to go to for R&R. So you're from Foley, Alabama. After the war's over, you get out on points, and you come back to Foley? No. I had married my wife at that time, who was a Navy nurse. And uh, she was from Orville, Ohio. <clears throat> and she was back at home with her mother and father. So I went up where, the, where they were, and I enrolled at Ohio Northern University and, uh, in pharmacy school. And I finished three years of pharmacy school in two because I had missed a year uh, in the service of work, financial work, work is what I'm trying to say. And I became registered in Ohio, and I worked in a drugstore in Ohio for about nine months. Then I went to work with Eli Lilly and Company Pharmaceuticals and Sales. And then I, if I was in Ohio for 10 years, and I became district manager in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then from there, I was in Kansas and Missouri. So then, then when I retired in 79, I came back to Foley and I, we have been there since. So obviously your military experience prepared you and gave you the work ethic that you were going to need to do what you have done in your life. Yes, sir. Would you trade it for anything? No, I really wouldn't. Would you go back and get sunk again? No, <laughs> I don't think that would happen. <laughs> I don't think that would happen. And uh, well, yeah, it's uh, been an experience you just think about and thank the good Lord that I'm still here. Yes, sir, we do. In fact, we do do that. We're going to take a short break here. We'll be back with more local heroes and Mr. George Coker from the Battleship Alabama, BB-60 here in Mobile. Stay tuned. Don't go away. Welcome back to Local Heroes here on WKFK-TV7, coming to you today from the Battleship Alabama in Mobile, Alabama, a place that you should all come see with yourself and your family. We are continuing with Mr. George Coker, a pharmacist's mate on board the USS Hornet. Mr. Coker witnessed and was there when the B-25s took off from the Hornet on the raid to Japan. Mr. Coker was also, uh, unfortunately, sunk with the ship and survived 
thankfully. When the ship was sunk at the Battle of Santa Cruz off Guadalcanal, Mr. Coker, you were a pharmacist mate in the Navy, is there, and you were drafted, or you joined the Navy. I joined the Naval Reserve. You joined the Naval Reserve, and then you were activated. And you chose to be a pharmacist mate, or you chose to go into the medical field in the I Navy? I chose the medical field of the Navy. Um, why did you choose the medical field? Well, I, when I was younger and in college, I always wanted to be a doctor. Uh, and uh, so I thought, well, I'd go in the medical field. And incidentally, going back in one of my articles, I told you I went to Kapile Lincoln Community College at Wesson, Mississippi, and I want to tell you this. Every one of my credits at Kapile Lincoln Community College in Wesson, Mississippi was transferred when I got out of the Navy to my Ohio Northern University where I went to college. Now, that's remarkable for Kapile Lincoln. Okay. Yeah, I get. Yeah, it is remarkable today. Um, so, you, you, did you get a lot of self-satisfaction? Did it make you feel good to work in the medical field and to help these these guys on board ship? They would come to see you when you weren't in combat for just about any ailment they That's had. Right. right. You were the you were the doc. Did they call you doc? They, they called us doc. They called you doc. We had the pharmacist made on our sleeve. You know the sticker cross. So, They'd come to you from for everything from the common cold to to any injury that they suffered while they were on board ship doing anything non-combat. Yes, sir. And then you, during combat, you were taking care of casualties. Yes, sir. Um, how did that make you feel? How did you handle some of the things you had to do or some of the things that you saw that you were doing when you were taking care of wounded? Well, I remember one thing, I was one man that I walked over to and he says, oh, Doc, I'm all right. He says, well, somebody else is worse than I am. That was the attitude they had when they were injured. So he wasn't injured that badly. He said, go to someone who's injured worse than I am. So you remember little things like that. And so you did. And then did you, you got back to him and uh, obviously he survived. Yes, sir, I guess. Because I, I lost track of him because I never knew what happened to him after that. When the casualties occurred on the Hornet, when the ship was was being bombed, they say it started about ten in the morning and it ended about five in the afternoon. You were constantly going down and getting the mattress covers off for the wounded. Were you burying wounded at sea during an attack? Uh, they attacked us periodically, yes, and they were doing that. But see, people, we did that because if we had just put them overboard, they could float. Well, they went to the bottom of the sea and the sharks wouldn't get them. Right. Yeah. Well, normal procedure was to put like a five-inch shell in there with yeah. them sometimes. A any weight, heavy-weighted, anything metal that we could find. So the attacks by the Japanese <clears throat> that day were, were off and on. It wasn't continuous. Oh, no, sir. It was continuous. It was off and on, yes. That's a good word. Off and on. So the, the, the anti-aircraft fire would open up, and then the Japanese would attack, and then there would be a lull. And obviously, you had to take care of more wounded. Right. Obviously, the ship was in, in some sort of peril. We had no bow power whatsoever. As I said, the first attack knocked the forward and aft engine room out, and we were dead ducks sitting there in the ocean. So after the first attack, the Hornet was dead in the water. Yes, sir. It couldn't move. The Northampton tried to get us under tow. They threw her lines over, and they'd get us under tow, and then another attack would come, and then they'd have to cut loose to save her own neck. So they cut the lines, and she could get her speed and get out of the way. And then the, the attack would stop and the and North Hampton would come back and try it again? <laughs> yes, sir. They did that two or three times. But it was became uh, useless and 
they said it wasn't worth it and, uh, to put that many other soldiers at risk of being sunk on the Northampton. What was going on on board the ship? I mean, could you feel the impact of the hits? The, oh, yes. Hear the explosions of the, the ship? Sure. The ship. So you knew, obviously, that you might have to get off this thing. Yes, sir. They were anti-piercing bombs, as you know, and they were means the first or second decks they would hit. That was what they were hitting us with. And was there a lot of smoke, a lot of fire on board ship? No, not no. really. No, not really. There was one out on the fantails with something caught fire. There's some gasoline out there. But one thing I missed in the earlier thing in conversation that we were talking about just came to me. Uh, we were sailing one afternoon patrolling off Guadalcanal before we were sunk, and the uh, carrier Wasp had sailed around the Horn uh, and South Africa and had delivered, delivered some P-51 uh, Army fighter planes to some base, and they came back and they, they joined us, and they were the, another carrier to join us patrolling off Guadalcanal. And after she had gotten there, just as she, she was refueling in the middle of the day, which is, and a Japanese plant submarine was laying to, and it submerged and sent a torpedo into the wasp. And I saw that whole thing hit, and it just blew right straight up in the air with nothing but black smoke. And it, that was the ending of the wasp. So you witnessed the torpedoing and the sinking of the wasp. Right. More history. More history. Um, let's jump back to the B-25s again. I mean, we're going all over the place, but there's questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, when the B-25s were first loaded onto the Hornet, these are the two that did the experiment. Did you know what was going on then? No. You had no idea? No idea. You think maybe the Navy was a little crazy for putting no, Army sir. bombers on a... On a <laughs> and you were not allowed to ask. <laughs> you were not... You didn't think they were a little... You, and you weren't allowed to ask. Well, we you, didn't you, you just had to wonder, what are we doing with these B-25s? Did you get to witness the first B-25s taking off in the experiment? No, not those. No, you didn't. You just heard it? Or you, you no, but then there again, like I've explained to you earlier, we couldn't figure out why they were going to do this because of the bridge on the starboard side, it had to be cleared. Yeah. And all the port side had to be over the water for these planes to take off. We knew that the mission that we were on, they could never come back to us. It was basically a suicide mission of sorts. Good point. But they still had to uh, do this, and they did it willingly, and they did. They volunteered. They were all volunteers. Nobody wanted to stay back. Right. That says something about the patriotism of all of you guys, which formed the greatest generation in the history of this country. All of you went forward and all of you did the job that you had to do, no matter how big, no matter how small, so that you and I could sit on the deck of this wonderful memorial today and talk about this. How do you feel about being a part of the greatest generation? Well, I feel very good about it, <clears throat> but I, the uh, prestige has gone down, the patriotism has gone down since that time. I think everybody knows that in the United States. You don't have that now. Like the draft or anything like that, you don't have that. So it would be a rough situation. 
but you do feel like you did something. We had to do. You had to do. To save the country. To save the country. To save the United States from tyranny in the world. You see, we were being, next would have been Europe. We were fighting the Germans, the Italians, and all that, and then the Japanese came on one side. So we had two sides to fight. You had two sides to fight at the same time. Yeah. After the B-25s took off, and you knew they were going on basically a suicide mission, how did you feel for those guys who were on board those Army bombers? Did you get to know any of them? Did you get to talk to any of them? Did you get to see any of them? Did you get yes, to be but around any of them? Yes, but not really get to talk to them because they were, they were in one section and they kept themselves pretty much. And they, they were, as many as they had, there was a big group. I didn't. I can't figure it up. I you told you. I think it was seven to a plane. It'd be nine to a plane, and then the three extras. You add them all up. It was a big, big group. It was a couple of hundred people or more. You think Doolittle kind of isolated? Oh them from yes, the he did that. I remember that. He isolated them. He had one ward room that was off limits. Did you get to see Doolittle at all? Oh yes. Oh yes. What kind of guy was? He? Very nice. Very humble. Down to earth. Just a regular Joe. And all the fellows liked him. And you got to talk to him? No, sir. But you got to see him? Got to see him. Regular guy. Regular guy. What did you think about Doolittle? Well, it took a lot of nerve and a lot of uh, patriotism for him to take on this big mission. And uh, he did it. And uh, I think that the United States should be very grateful to a man because it upsets the Japanese, as you know, very much with their mainland being bombed when they had said that it would not be bombed. That set up the turmoil with the Japanese. There was a little ceremony that took place on the, the Hornet. Uh, Doolittle was placing some of the medals that he had gotten, uh, I think in his worldly travels from Japan, on one of the bombs. Did you all hear anything or know anything about that? We didn't know anything, didn't about, know anything that. about that. No, we didn't. It was. Now, there were some Army crewmen left on board the, the Hornet yes. after the, the raid. Took they off. came back into Honolulu when we came into Honolulu, and then they went their way. Well, what was their overall attitude? Did they, did they, they were glad that all the ships got off safely. And were they sorry when they got left behind? or were the, the they didn't, I didn't hear that. You didn't get to mix with them too much, so I didn't get to hear it. But you know that they were sorry because they would have liked to have been, been on one to say that they were born, because you said you knew a man that was on it, on a ship. Yeah. So. Very good, very good. Is there anything you'd like to tell anybody out there listening to our interview, Mr. Coker, about your service? No, except that I said I'm very thankful uh, that I'm alive. A lot of us are under six foot under. Oh, well, I'm glad you're here today, too. <laughs> I really am. It's an honor and a privilege to talk uh, to you. And uh, I guess the way, only thing to say that it wasn't my time. Well, Mr. Coker, I want to personally thank you for your service in World War II. I think that everybody in this country owes the greatest generation more now than ever. I think we all need to recognize that. We all need to be cognizant of it, and we all need to thank you guys even more uh, than we have. 
And I know y'all are humble, and I know you said I only did my job, but I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your service and for being here today on Local Heroes. Let me say just one other thing to you. This is, I doubt if you could find them now, but you have in my folder I gave you uh, a book. It's called The Ship to Remember, and it's about the Hornet. And then there was another book, 30 Seconds Over to Tokyo, and they made a movie out of 30 yes, Seconds Over Tokyo. Yes. So those, if you haven't seen that, see it because it puts your humble hum, humbleness in your heart for what they've gone through yes sir we're out of time mr coker thanks for being here today thank you for your courtesy that's it for this edition of local heroes please tune in next week for another exciting and wonderful show on wkfk tv7 thank you for watching